for for all of all of the metaphors in the conversation, what we are going to get into today mm -hmm. is a discussion of physiology and mm -hmm. oxygen, and a discussion of making sure you're making safe choices for yourself with what you know about yourself. Welcome to the Healing Ground Movement, a podcast dedicated to revolutionizing how we think about our bodies and our health. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, DC, and I have lived my life in pursuit of holistic healing and care that goes beyond symptom management. If you've been listening and like what you're hearing, head over to your favorite platform and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our important message. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, and with me today, we have our first repeat guest. She started us off with our very first episode nearly a year ago, and I am so excited to have Cheryl Ilove back with us today. We are going to take some interesting twists and dives, drawing on Cheryl's experience as a respiratory therapist for 20 years, um, a PT for an additional 20 years, and of course, a lifelong ninja. <laughs> so as we start to talk about the climate of health, wellness, and expectations, and just our, our place in the community today, I wanted to bring Cheryl's brilliant mind and wealth of experience to help guide the conversation. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Carly. <laughs> it's wonderful to be here again. I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, so we already know, we've asked you when movement was first fun for you, this just occurred to me that I don't have a different opening question for you because we've already got to know you about a year ago. Mm -hmm. But perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about your history as a respiratory therapist and mm -hmm. PT and what that was like for you okay. um, when you were in practice so many years ago. So I graduated from a four-year program mm -hmm. for respiratory therapy. Respiratory therapy was actually a new field. It was, you know, brand new. Mm -hmm. It had started out as inhalation therapy until <laughs> they realized that you exhale too. Oh, yeah. So then they turned it into respiratory therapy. And when it first um, appeared on the scene, mm -hmm. it was an OJT program. So they would just teach people how to drag oxygen tanks around the hospital, mm -hmm. how to give basic respiratory treatments. And then it just really developed into this incredible field of medicine that I fell into. I did not choose it. <laughs> I fell into it like so many other things in my life. And once I found myself there, I just kind of went with it. And I mean, it was just fascinating. Cardiopulmonary sciences is to me absolutely fascinating. It was probably the first time in my life I ever really enjoyed school. And that was in my junior year in college. Once I got over the shock <laughs> that I was going to be working with people who were really horribly ill, mm -hmm. uh, devastatingly injured, and working in intensive care units, emergency rooms, recovery room, watching postmortems. It was really rough for a 19-year-old woman who thought she was going to do something lovely with her life <laughs> like Celeste Lauder. So, bit of a departure. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Oh, it was a big departure. <laughs> but of course, I could still use and wear Estee Lauder. So I actually fell in love with the profession mm -hmm. and learned so much mm -hmm. about the cardiopulmonary system. And like I said, worked with patients all the way from neonate to geriatric in mm -hmm. every single area of the hospital's acute care. So I was really a fascinating 
career. Mm -hmm. But after about 12, 13 years, I thought I needed a change. So I started pursuing physical therapy, but still, of course, worked in the field until I got accepted into PT school. Oh, wonderful. And then I know um, from having been a client of yours before you, you retired from working with individuals that you still bring a lot of breath work and awareness through PT. And then when I worked with you, it was Pilates and Feldenkrais. Um, it, mm -hmm. it has remained a theme through, through the next few decades of your work as well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Not only with my clients, but for myself. And I'm still even um, working with it and still mm -hmm. pursuing it in different ideas of how to really use the breath to not only calm the mind, mm -hmm. you know, keep your body healthy, it just has so many uh, implications in how you move. And mm -hmm. when you're doing even easy movement or challenging movement or going through challenging times, mm -hmm. kind of like we are now, mm -hmm. of how many times we just hold our breath because we're bracing ourselves. But if you can just start with focusing on your breathing, focusing on just even thinking of those molecules of oxygen, just mm -hmm. traveling, you know, through the airways, you know, through your nose and going down the back of your throat and into, you know, the, your bronchi and then the bronchial tubes and into the little air sacs at the bottom. And it's like, well, that's pretty cool. And think mm -hmm. of what's happening there too with the gas exchange going across that uh, alveolar capillary membrane. Oh my gosh, I still remember stuff. <laughs> and, you know, the oxygen, the pressures mm -hmm. of the gases the oxygen, the carbon dioxide, and that beautiful exchange that's going on. And then the exhale just, you know, calms. It, it's just a lovely, lovely process. The body is phenomenal. Isn't it, though? Yeah. I mean, I... I fell into, I don't know if I've shared this part of my story yet either, but I, I fell into anatomy and physiology. Um, I was going to be a family therapist mm -hmm. and I became a massage therapist to pay my way through grad school and was like incensed that I was somehow duped that I had to learn anatomy and physiology <laughs> to work on someone's body. So that's just my entry level understanding at Got 18 it. years old. Um, but once you start learning about the physiology, about mm -hmm. the systems, about our coping mechanisms that go layer upon layer for breath and nervous system and the way our muscles and, and our brain react to stress and, and movement, it just, I mean, how, how can you ever stop? And I didn't. I, I got my doctorate. I kept going. But and, exactly. and you as well. As I, I know, <laughs> and I still continue to study mm -hmm. um, different movement patterns or different movement modalities. Mm -hmm. And again, using the breath work, it's just fascinating because it never ends. And like you were talking about the learning, it's mm -hmm. lifelong learning that keeps us healthy, that keeps us youthful, and that keeps us going. Mm -hmm. So you just can't stop learning and asking the questions why mm -hmm. and this is something i learned in my feldenkrais training that i thought well that's dumb everything <laughs> starts with a question oh here we go again <laughs> but it's true i mean everything starts with a question mm -hmm. why are we doing this how can we do this better how can we do this differently and why are we doing it this way what if i just changed my perspective a little bit mm -hmm. and looked at something a different way mm -hmm. and i have an analogy or a story that goes along with that if you'd like to hear it absolutely and i was thinking about it even as i was driving over here this morning was i remember it was quite a few years ago probably about 10 or 11 mm -hmm. and you know i was talking uh, most of my family lives back east and I had had a conversation with my mother that morning, and she told me a story, a story about the family or this gathering that they had, and I was okay. And then the next morning, I was talking to one of my sisters, and she told me the same story, but it had a completely <laughs> different twist. I'm like, 
wow, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> and then I talked to two other sisters over the course of the week. I have four of them. And each one of them told me basically the same story, but it was a completely different twist. But absolutely and, not the same story. <laughs> right. Because everybody was telling their story from their mm-hmm. own personal experience and their own perspective. Mm-hmm. And I thought about this for a couple of weeks. And I was in my Feldenkrais training at the time, so I was really looking at things differently. And I thought, you know, it's almost like you're being you're in a room mm-hmm. and you're sitting at your desk. Your desk has always been at the same place, so you see the room a certain way. If you get up out of your chair, you go across the room, you stand in a corner and you turn and you look at that same room from a different angle, it's a completely different room. And so many other possibilities just light up for you. It's like, my goodness, I can do this instead. I can maybe rearrange things this way. And it's like the creative juices Mm -hmm. and the, the possibilities start popping up. And so a lot of times if I feel like I'm stuck with a problem or something I can't figure my way out of, I'll walk around the house, pick a room, and I'll stand in a different corner. I love that. I And I like that that just, it takes what putting ourselves in a physically different place does to change our mind and our perspective. Exactly. Which, let's just go back to that obsession of how all of these systems work together, mm-hmm. and we can trick ourselves in that way. Mm-hmm. But my favorite thing about your story is that, you know, for four sisters, and you, and your mother, so six different people, if I'm counting six correctly. Six women. Six women who do not at all come from stubborn stock. We didn't talk <laughs> extensively about the stubbornness of Cheryl and I in other episodes. but <laughs> Incomparable stubbornness. Incomparable stubbornness that um, all of you are absolutely 100% correct yes and per the perspective of someone else absolutely 100% incorrect and it can be both and interestingly enough when I was listening to everybody's stories Mm -hmm. I kept my mouth shut I just sat there and I listened to them and of course I know them very well Mm -hmm. all of them so I was able to say ah that's interesting that you know, one sister saw it this way, another sister saw it this way, and my mother saw it so completely different. Mm -hmm. Because even though we came from the same tribe, we are all as incomparably stubborn as you and I, (laughs) but we all have different experiences. Mm -hmm. We all have different biology, we have different physiology, we have different experiences. Even though we share DNA, we do not share exactly the same life. Mm -hmm. So we see things differently. And when we have conversations, amongst us and don't insist on being right that you have got to think the way I do Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden we have a much richer conversation rather than I hate you you're wrong and you have the opportunity by invitation of any of these five other women or we can expand this to the conversations we may or may not be having um, (laughs) with our community these days to metaphorically stand up walk across the room and go sit in a different chair Mm -hmm. and see how it feels and you might find that like when you go to a different room and you're stuck Mm -hmm. in an idea that it brightens everything and Mm -hmm. suddenly you have this missing key Mm -hmm. or you might sit in that chair and think oh no there's a draft over here Mm -hmm. and it's dark and I'm pretty sure there's a spider in that corner Mm -hmm. and get up and walk away again Mm -hmm. but without that experience of trying on these different seats Mm -hmm. you have such a narrow view of that room such a one-minded view of the room of the topic of the story and you're doing yourself a disservice when Mm -hmm. you do that because you're closing your mind and a closed mind Mm -hmm. does not learn Mm -hmm. and if you're not learning you're not growing and you might as well just you know 
crawl back into bed and not get out again. Yeah, which we know. I mean, we were talking before we, we started recording here about how stressful the last four or five, I don't know, is it 17 years now? The five months that we've had, <laughs> exactly. um, depending on where you are in, in the country and in the world, um, how stressful they've been. Mm -hmm. And that when our body goes into this um, hyperactive fight or flight mode, mm -hmm. we retreat from the frontal lobe of our brain, which mm -hmm. is critical thinking and planning, into our emotional brain. Mm -hmm. And when that becomes too overwhelming, right, well, and our emotional brain is that quick to react mm -hmm. or quick to depress. Mm -hmm. And when that gets too overwhelming, we retreat from our emotional brain simply into survival. Mm -hmm. And survival has no room for discussion, no mm -hmm. room for negotiation, and no room for sitting in a different chair, sitting mm -hmm. in a different place. And so it requires almost this um, monumental effort on the part of all of us, mm -hmm. wherever we are in that retreat process, because we've all been put through the ringer, mm -hmm to start coming out of bed, start coming out of that reptilian brain and work mm -hmm. ourselves into a conversational palette. Mm -hmm. And of course, the survival mechanism mm -hmm. is very important. Absolutely. But the problem is survival is meant to, okay, danger, get me out of the situation. Mm -hmm. I'm in a safe place now. <gasps> I can breathe. Yeah. I can now come out of that fight or flight. I can go into our parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous system mm -hmm. calm down you know the respirations are easy again the heartbeat slows down the blood pressure comes down and that that is where rest digestion and mm -hmm. good health comes from but if you stay in that fight or flight mm -hmm. there's only one way to go and that's escalate and eventually it kills us yeah and where we are now is it's been four months, five months of fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And it's starting to show. Mm -hmm. And you know, we have we recorded a lot of episodes right at the beginning of the Safe at Home here in Colorado mm -hmm. um, that, that addressed the emergency situation. Mm -hmm. And when I reopened my practice and saw patients again, they were all in acute emergency pain for not having been treated. Mm -hmm. And so the discussion we have in that moment is, let's get out of this, let's take care of it, we're going to address this emergency situation. Mm -hmm. But what happens is, as we stay there, our coping mechanisms have to become different. We need to adjust to what is a new baseline mm -hmm. so that we don't remain in that emergency setting and still maintain the ability to think critically and have uncomfortable conversations with people whose values or needs are sitting in a different place than ours. Mm -hmm. But knowing from an empathetic, heart-centered place that those values and needs are about their survival, mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. We're mm -hmm. all in agreement about needing to survive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I like the way the choice of words <laughs> is we're all in agreement of needing to survive. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid you were going to that phrase, we're all in this together. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, I got really tired of that really quickly mm -hmm. because we're really we're all in the same boat more or less mm -hmm. but we all have different needs yeah. once again mm -hmm. um you all of a sudden were thrust into being a stay-at-home mom mm -hmm. and not working you know that i was just stuck at home with a <laughs> husband that usually travels <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden we were yeah. together 24 7. 
every single day. Different yeah. kind of challenge. Different challenges. <laughs> but thank goodness we have a great relationship mm -hmm. like you and your husband do. And, you know, a lot of other people were thinking, you know, they still had to go to work and mm -hmm. had kids. Who's going to take care of the kids? Mm -hmm. The schools were closed. There's so many different stressors at so many levels. The elderly who can't get out very easily under good circumstances, mm -hmm. and now they're stuck at home, and they have nobody to help them out. Every single family, every single individual, I knew a lot of people who are single, mm -hmm. living alone in a very small, tiny apartment. Mm -hmm. So everybody's having their stressors and a lot to deal with. So here we are four months later, and just starting to really kind of come out and kind of sticking our toes in the water. Mm -hmm. What can we do that's safe? What can we do that's not? And trying to make decisions about our health and our sanity at the same time because our mental health is just as important mm -hmm. as our physical health. That's absolutely true. And I love that you bring up these different ca not categories, but different realities mm -hmm. of what being at home meant. And we try and highlight that across the board because it's very easy. Again, we're talking about that reptilian fight or flight mm -hmm. brain. Exactly. This is me and my world. And the only thing that I could think about um, back in March was how on earth am I going to be a stay-at-home mom? Yeah. That was terrifying to me now we were talking you know just before we started recording that that has been the one of the biggest gifts mm -hmm. it changed my relationship with my daughter it changed my relationship with myself with my own experience of my childhood I mean we went deep I was mm -hmm. in therapy but all of that was fantastic but that was all consuming and my world right so that's going to color my values and when we start talking about re-entry I'm here talking about how our mother's going to get back to work if child care isn't available and what about children and how can they be safe and developmentally appropriate in school mm -hmm. all of these aspects you know but my friend who doesn't have a child and is in a um, more contentious relationship oh. and didn't feel safe at home I'm sorry they have a very different set of needs. Right. And so we have to know that everyone is coming from that, how mm -hmm. do I survive based on that most important value mm -hmm. that my reptilian brain went to, mm -hmm. or you know, at the very least just your emotional brain went mm -hmm. to when everything hit the fan. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, all of this, I, I do want to say it, it begins arguably with the best of intentions we're mm -hmm. all in this together mm -hmm. we want to have a community gathering over an unprecedented historical mm -hmm. event mm -hmm. but this all in it together has almost become a a discussion of yeah we're all in this together like like the moms no 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 like the single parents no like the elderly by themselves right. we're all in it like this no yeah. we're all in this together like the essential workers no we're all in this together like the communities being hit hardest mm -hmm. Yes, we're all it, we're all impacted. We're all in it, and we're yeah, we're in it. <laughs> yeah, but the way we react to it mm -hmm. and and depends on the situation mm -hmm. too. Like you said, bringing up that friend of yours who's in a contentious relationship. I mean, I really for the first I would say mm -hmm. four months worried constantly about people who are in abusive relationships, mm -hmm. children in abusive homes, and how could they get out? How could they? Mm -hmm escape and and this system and the approach provided little option exactly and but what it did do was provide you know great security for the immunocompromised and elderly to not right. contract the virus 
it solves one problem and creates another. Right. And so when we talk about the six women with the six different points of views and the six different chairs, mm -hmm. I, there are not enough chairs no. to, to discuss all the different needs that have been happening here in this country. And even if there were, mm -hmm. we probably wouldn't be able to fit them in any room because we'd have to social distance. <laughs> so we wouldn't even be able to, yeah, be They'd very all hard have to, to do. be six feet apart. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So for for all of all of the metaphors in the conversation, what we are going to get into today mm -hmm. is a discussion of physiology and oxygen mm -hmm. and a discussion of making sure you're making safe choices for yourself with what you know about yourself. And Cheryl and I have uh, discussed this extensively mm -hmm. um, many weeks before we decided to record, knowing that what we're saying is um, highly politicized, highly controversial. Anybody can respond to this with a study for or against anything mm -hmm. that is about to come out of our mouth. Um, highly inflammatory, too, I will say. Mm-hmm. Very. Yeah. And what we're looking for is to share physiology to share a perspective, mm -hmm. and to invite you to sit in a chair that might not be comfortable mm -hmm. and try it on. Mm -hmm. And we'll see how it goes. Alrighty then. All right. So let's start with learning. Okay. Can you teach us about the physiology of oxygen carbon dioxide <laughs> exchange? Okay, well, I'll do my best. <laughs> it has been a really long time, but a lot of that is still in the vault. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's just a beautiful natural process. Mm -hmm. You know, you take the air in, we don't even have to think about breathing unless we do get into some conscious breathing with, mm -hmm. you know, different movement modalities. But it's in your brainstem tells mm -hmm. you when to take a breath. It's an automatic, you know, response. If you had to think about breathing all the time, it would be exhausting, and we probably would stop doing it. Mm -hmm. So we are you lazy know, creatures by nature. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you have in your brainstem, mm -hmm. you have receptors that sense what the oxygen levels in your blood are, as well as the carbon dioxide levels in mm -hmm. your blood are. So that's why you know when we start to run, which. I never do, Ooh. allergic to running, <laughs> but you start to run and it's like all of a sudden you require more oxygen. So mm -hmm. your oxygen levels in your blood are starting to drop. Those receptors in your brainstem are saying, you're gonna mm -hmm. have to start breathing more, breathe, bring in more oxygen so it's available to the tissues mm -hmm. and the carbon dioxide levels you know, can adjust as well. So that's why we start breathing heavy, more mm -hmm. heavily when we start running. Now let's say we're really into it and we're really running hard. So we're taking in even more air. Now in natural, resting respiration um, it's just the diaphragm that's doing mm -hmm. most of the work sometimes you know the intercostal muscles the ones between the ribs are going to give a little bit of support mm -hmm. mm, not much but then we start running and we're starting to breathe heavier so now all of a sudden the intercostal muscles are really kicking in to help the diaphragm get more oxygen more mm -hmm. air into the lungs and then you even start using what we call the accessory muscles of respiration mm -hmm. more in you probably know a lot about these because <laughs> i'm sure you see them a lot in your clients absolutely the accessory muscles which are a little bit more upper um, the neck muscles and they try and lift your rib cage up so you can get more in again it's all about oxygenation getting flow into your tissues the muscles are working hard your heart is working really hard mm -hmm. so that is why you know then when we stop and we're still breathing heavily as we walk around slow our system down the heart rate starts to slow the respiration start to calm down a little bit and mm -hmm. voila we're have had a wonderful <laughs> run if you're a runner or the same thing 
as a dancer in mm -hmm. ballet class when we're doing some of the really um, intense movements across the floor, the big jumps, the long combinations, and it takes a lot of breath work to do that mm -hmm. and coordinated breath work because nobody wants to see a ballerina just, you know, huffing and puffing and she's, you know, walking. <laughs> it has to look effortless. <laughs> it has to look easy and elegant. And when you're huffing and puffing like that, it really doesn't. So it's just the same way and you're kind of controlling it, but mm -hmm. you're really getting as much air and oxygen into your tissues as you can and exhaling that carbon dioxide. And it's the carbon dioxide that I want to focus on sure. a little bit here because there's a lot of information going on about O2 saturation mm -hmm. and its availability. So now, of course, we're talking about the use of masks and not a blanket yes, no, throw mm -hmm. them all in the trash or, you know, super glue them all to our faces, but simply understanding the physiology of when we use a mask and mm -hmm. we increase our demand, mm -hmm. what that can do to our system and things to be aware of so mm -hmm. that when they are in use, they're in use safely. Mm -hmm. So... You know, we see a lot of representation of oxygen saturation of the blood mm -hmm. not really changing that much with mm -hmm. the mask. But what the um, what is sort of left out of that equation is that darling CO2. Right. So talk about with hypercapnia, the uh, um, increased CO2 levels in the mm -hmm. blood. Um, you're going to get dizzy. Mm -hmm. You're going to feel nauseous. Some people will pass out. It puts an incredible amount of strain on your heart. You're not getting um, enough oxygen to the tissues, and the carbon dioxide is actually not being able to be carried out. Let's talk a little bit more about the not being able to be carried out part, because I think that's where a lot of the misconception comes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, anything specific? So when we talk about having good um, O2 saturation in the blood, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's sort of like the CO2 just disappears. You can have really fantastic oxygenation mm -hmm. levels, you know, with your, your pulse oximeter. A mm -hmm. lot of people have purchased pulse oximeters. Um, but you're right. Your CO2 level can really start climbing and mm -hmm. actually even be off the chart. Now, with chronic lung diseases, what happens with emphysema and other um, mm -hmm. such lung diseases is that over a sh long period of time, mm -hmm. the carbon dioxide levels are slowly starting to increase. So, as you know, what happens? Mm -hmm. The brainstem starts to compensate, so somebody who does have COPD can tolerate a higher level of CO2 in their blood mm -hmm. more than you or I could. So it's just all about the compensation. Mm -hmm. But if you can't get rid of the CO2, and this happens a lot when you're rebreathing room air, mm -hmm. and I'll use ballet class as another analogy. Sometimes in one of the studios that I used to dance at I'm pretty sure I'm not going back but it's a lovely studio it's a big room and it has just one tiny window that doesn't open mm -hmm. big room 30 people sometimes are in that room and we're working hard and we're exhaling the room air and some of the people in class absolutely flat out re refuse to have a fan on mm -hmm. so there's no room you know it's just the same room air that we're rebreathing over and over and over starts out fine at the beginning of class but about 30 or 40 minutes into class you know you can just feel the lack of oxygen mm -hmm. and the huffing and the puffing and the more we're trying to oxygenate the more we're contributing to the problem because we're exhaling even more air so the the exhaled air there's no fresh air there's no circulation coming in mm -hmm. so there's a lot of times I would just have to leave leave the room and leave class because I had a headache uh, that's another symptom um, just feeling really dizzy like I was gonna throw up and to me that's not 
not fun. No. And and you think about this too. So other other sports and, and activities that I think our listeners are familiar with are power vinyasa classes. Oh yeah. And and CrossFit being another, depending on the size of the room. Now CrossFit's usually a much larger room mm-hmm. and it's not as cardio um, cardiovascular fitness as it is um, weightlifting. But there is still this exertion, this power mm-hmm. exertion. And if we stop and think about it, it has become the badge of honor about um, working to the point of nausea or fighting through that pass out. Right. right. (laughs) Um, I remember the first uh, heated power yoga class that I took. I made it about halfway through the class and needed to sit down on the mat for just pure dizziness. Mm -hmm. And I I have a history of asthma and disordered breathing patterns Mm -hmm. that, you know, we don't need to get into here, just that they exist. And so I struggle to exhale and Mm -hmm. push out that CO2 that, you know, can build up in my body and create right. those systems. So that being said, if you are a power yogi, mm-hmm. think back to the early days, because of course we can adapt, mm-hmm. but think back to the early days of your power yogi, power yogiing, and <laughs> um, the dizziness or the right. newbie in your class who right. doesn't make it through because of the headache or that's just not, you know, seeing spots afterwards. Right. That is the exertion and the O2-CO2 balance in mm-hmm. the room and therefore in our blood. And really, mm-hmm. the only way you can measure CO2, mm-hmm. now I've been out of the field for a long time, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure this is the only way you can really accurately measure your carbon dioxide levels in your blood is with an arterial blood gas. Oh, so not a, not a pulse ox? With a CO2? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good. Good yeah. to know. Yeah. I th- they do mm-hmm. have one for a CO monitor, mm-hmm. like you can, uh, carbon monoxide, but not CO2. No. So the pulse oxygen that we're looking at, which mm-hmm. is really important given the current virus in our system, because mm-hmm. it does lower those O2 levels in mm-hmm. our body after, um, after a period of time, that will monitor the O2. Right. But it's not going to monitor your CO2 in your Correct. system. Correct. Mm-hmm. But with that as well, you said eventually, mm-hmm. you know, it will go down. And I'm not really sure my husband, who is a respiratory therapist as well, mm-hmm. and you know, so we've been fascinated, you know, with all of this, and we try and read up as much as we can. And of course, he's still in the field um, mm-hmm. in the in sales. So this has really impacted <laughs> him quite a bit, and has done an awful lot of work on, you know, and research mm-hmm. that the symptoms, it's not really pneumonia, mm-hmm. you know, a, a a typical pneumonia yeah. that is caused by the virus, but it's something more like um, acute respiratory distress sy- syndrome, mm-hmm. ARDS. And the mechanism, and I'm not really 100% sure, so don't quote me on this, so, but don't tell anybody, um, <laughs> is that the oxygenation, it's like the, the, the virus causes the hemoglobin, mm-hmm. right, to kind of like... Cl- it, it knocks lock off the iron receptor on the hemoglobin so the oxygen cannot bind with the hemoglobin. Yeah, so it's really more of a cardiovascular disease than a lung disease. Correct. Because the oxygen is not being carried on each individual red blood cell Correct. the way that we would hope it to, to yes. supply us with air. Right. Um, and we could, th- there's a whole affinity about the heme to oxygen versus carbon dioxide. Correct. And when we get to hypocapnia and really extreme versions of this, and and I think it, it bears um, mentioning that Cheryl and I aren't talking about extreme hypocapnia, which can result in death. We're talking about the, right. um, the receptors in your body being pushed to that level of discomfort and, and, and misadaption, mm-hmm. that we are no longer in our threshold of comfortability, mm-hmm. depending mm-hmm. on what our history and training mm-hmm. has been. And um, 
And so having that affinity for uh, carbon dioxide on, mm -hmm. on the blood molecule also makes it harder to get the CO2 out of our body. Right. And then mm -hmm. with the impact on your musculature too. Mm -hmm. So you're at really high risk of injury. The muscles aren't able to function. Mm -hmm. And you just, the recovery post-exercise is just not there. Mm -hmm. Which, to take it to another um, uh, kind of easily understood metaphor, is now Cheryl and I are both here in the Mile High City of Denver, and we are, well, I'm a proud Colorado, and you've been here long enough, you've got to be uh, one with us. Yeah. All right. So we are at altitude, mm -hmm. and what so many people, I think, um, is common knowledge, I would assume, is that athletes like to come to Colorado to train mm -hmm. because there is less oxygen available, mm -hmm. and it increases that demand. It makes them have to work harder and for their bodies to learn to adapt. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't happen right away. Mm -hmm. you know, if you go to or watch any of our football games, mm -hmm. you see the opposing team on the sideline huffing oxygen mm -hmm. because because they have been doing extreme muscle exertion at altitude with less O2. Mm -hmm. So we see in them the dizziness, the poor mm -hmm. coordination, and dis um, delayed decision making. And it works out very well for our Denver Broncos. I was just going to say I that. Know. We feel so sorry for those people when they I, come to altitude. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Terrible. It's just absolutely. Yeah. But that being said, <laughs> <laughs> that that's another instance of mild hypocapnia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why are we bringing all of this up in this day and age? Mm -hmm. Why are we? Because at, in, depending on the state, depending on the jurisdiction that you're in, we have seen um, executive orders requiring the use of masks while working out. Mm -hmm. Now this is not blanket, of course, nothing, nothing across the country is blanket here. But while the use of wearing a mask while working out does limit uh, potentially the spread of the virus mm -hmm. as we are doing, like Cheryl um, described, big exhalations and mm -hmm. inhalations, and that's a lot of bacterial and viral particles of any shape and size. Let's remember there are about 300 trillion viruses in us right now. Mm -hmm. We're more virus than you human. You look pretty good for that. Thank you. Yeah. I just, I had my viruses rearranged recently. Oh, very <laughs> nice. We, we are more virus than human, as it turns <laughs> out. Um, but, so we're expelling it through the mask. Mm -hmm. But the shadow side of that choice mm -hmm. is restricted breathing. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to us a little bit about taking those huffing breaths through cotton through the surgical right, masks or right. an N95. Right. So anything that's going to restrict your mm -hmm. breathing is going to make it more difficult for you to take a full breath. Mm -hmm. So you are actually breathing against resistance. So you work a little harder. That's not that big of a deal for a young, healthy person. Mm -hmm. Like we both are. I'm putting myself in your category. I, um, I'll take it. I want to be in your category, actually. Well, one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> but so you have to work hard just to take a normal breath. Mm -hmm. So even as you're going through the grocery store, and, you know, which well, I hate the grocery store under the best of circumstances, mm -hmm. but you're trying to breathe through that mask, mm -hmm. you know, you have to be really conscious of how much effort, you know, you're taking in so you can kind of control it to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if you're just running around trying to get in the store and out of the store as quickly as possible, you know, you could actually end up getting hypercapnic in that situation. So you mm -hmm. have to just be careful and just monitor yourself. So it's all about awareness, right, mm -hmm. with everything else and how you feel and paying attention to your body yep. and listen to the signals that your body is giving you so if you can get that way I mean my my sensei actually mm -hmm. even when he's in Whole Foods he has to go to a corner 
mm-hmm. and take his mask off for a few minutes or take it down so he can take a few deep breaths because he says he actually gets dizzy. He can feel mm-hmm. himself getting hypoxemic is what he says. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is the hypoxemia or the hypercapnia. It doesn't really matter. He's dizzy. He has to stop and, and do something. Yeah. Um, so that's in just normal activities of daily living is going mm-hmm. to the grocery store. Now imagine it's really hot outside today. Mm-hmm. So if I have to park it way at the far end of the, the parking lot and put my mask on and walk in that heat mm-hmm. all the way across the parking lot to get into the front of the store, by the time I get there, I'm already a little depleted. Now I never wear a mask until I get to the store mm-hmm. because I have mild asthma. I have mild exercise induced asthma. And I have mild anxiety. (laughs) And so it's just like, I just put it off until I know that I have to. And I'm okay with that Mm -hmm. because I'm usually not around people. And I'm in the glorious Colorado sunshine. And again, so this is where we talk about all of our different chairs. Here Mm -hmm. in Colorado, here in Denver, most parts of Denver, um, there's a lot of space Mm -hmm. that we can go for walks. We can hit our amazing trails and get out Mm -hmm. in the sun and not see another soul which is just lovely for those of us who don't like being around people so much. (laughs) Now, if you are in the inner city, if you are in New York, if you are in downtown Boston, I lived there for a handful of years, Mm -hmm. or Chicago, getting away from people, getting that six feet just to have it is a lot harder. And so we, we respect and empathize with the fact that our situation here in Colorado is going to be very different than someone listening right. in another part of the country. Right. But to Cheryl's point, it is for her walk across the parking lot in the hot sun, which increases our, our muscular demand because we're in a stressful environment, mm-hmm. um, surrounded by nobody, mm-hmm. there are different choices that get to be made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as you're breathing through that resistance right mask. exactly mm-hmm. and another point that you were saying is you're exhaling through that mask mm-hmm. so your inhalation is restricted mm-hmm. so is your exhalation mm-hmm. and a lot of what you are exhaling instead of going into ambient air mm-hmm. and then diffusing through the air is a lot of what you're exhaling is on the inside of your mask mm-hmm. which okay that's good because that's going to protect other people from getting it but a lot of the other viruses that are in our bodies Mm -hmm. bacteria we've got a lot of healthy bacteria Mm -hmm. that we need some bacteria maybe not so good but it's then on the inside surface of that mask so you're inhaling and exhaling that making the concentration of what might be on the inside of your mask with each exhalation it increases it so Mm -hmm. now you've got your you're actually have like um an exponential Mm -hmm. amount of whatever it is you're exhaling on the inside of that mask which is why you always throw the mask away Mm -hmm. wear it once or you wash it if it's a washable mask but you don't keep reusing the same mask because you actually may be infecting yourself Yes, that we, when we talk about, and this is a really, I think a common conversation that's talking about, um, particularly with the current virus, is about viral load. Mm -hmm. That we can have a tiny smattering of something, and it's fine. It's not really much of a big deal. But as we get more and more and more, then it starts to overwhelm our body's natural immune system and those natural killer cells. It just becomes a larger army than we can fend off. Mm -hmm. So as we're breathing and rebreathing, breathing and rebreathing, and, you know, I'm seeing... So many people in my office are actually calling in sick and canceling because you know, this is our policy. You, you feel ill, right. you know, we're, we're going to stay home to keep everyone safe. And they go and they get a test and they're COVID negative, but they've got mono 
They've oh, got strep. Yeah. They've got fo- food poisoning. Kind of actually a big one right now. Um, oh, I can see that. Well, I we're not, we haven't been getting the buggies that. into our yeah. belly. I, I fell victim to food poisoning a couple months ago. Yeah, I know. I remember. Um, yeah, uh, we're not getting the buggies in our belly where we need them. Um, we're, we're rebreathing all of that bacteria. Mm-hmm. And so we're all getting sick with a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. So, again, to your point, it is proper use of these masks mm. as they are intended to keep us safe also involves throwing them away if mm-hmm. they're disposable <laughs> and washing them if they are not and we're talking about after about 20 minutes of use mm-hmm. is the the typical standard using ppe mm-hmm. in a hospital setting mm-hmm. it's a 20 minute use and then that mm-hmm. sucker is coated with buggies yep and we got to get a new one when I was still working as a respiratory mm-hmm. therapist, and of course, you know, when we were wearing the masks and everything, and mm-hmm. of course, they were very strict about that. We have an infection control department, mm-hmm. you know, that was in charge and always swabbing everybody's hands. And, you know, it's like those masks, you have to throw them away. And it was not only because, you know, of what was on the inside that you mm-hmm. were exhaling into. And I had a hard time believing this when I was back, you know, back then, but I can kind of see now. She, they would always tell us that it's what's on the outside of the mask just by walking in the patient's room. Mm -hmm. It's not just what's on the inside that counts. That's right. (laughs) right. And to that point of what's on the outside of the mask, um, I know that everyone has seen and perhaps we have all been guilty of the full face touch of the mask or the constant readjusting of the nose or the the having it just below the nose that's my personal favorite and the breathing out through the nose yes yes (laughs) so now we're coating the outside of the mask touching it with our hands Mm -hmm. and then using this hand as we would use a hand in the world touching Mm -hmm. surfaces Mm -hmm. so remember way back at the beginning of this way back five months ago when hand washing was our first line of defense Mm-hmm. I want us all to take that moment to sit in another chair mm-hmm. and to think considerately how you felt about that hand washing five months ago and how often we're touching our masks mm-hmm. now and are we still hand washing? Mm-hmm. Are we still washing our hands every time we touch our face, touch our masks? Or do mm-hmm. we have a false sense of security because we're wearing a mask? Mm-hmm. Or my personal favorite is the gloves. Mm-hmm. Because if you're wearing gloves, you don't have to worry. You can touch anything, including mm-hmm. your face. But then you're touching your face, you're adjusting your mask, you're touching the produce, and the redhead in the corner is going, oh my God, <laughs> you know, what are you doing? And it just uh-huh. drives me absolutely crazy. But this is this is so funny. Uh-huh. I don't know, I wrote, it was before all of this came up, uh-huh. you know, COVID, and it was like, oh, it's cold and flu season, and I have a real thing about hand washing, uh-huh. because I'm a wee bit of a germaphobe, and, and proud of it, <laughs> and I'm constantly, I love washing my hands. To me, it's just uh-huh. like, oh gosh, you know, you uh-huh. never know what's on there. Okay. Yeah, just yeah. love clean yeah. hands. And so I actually did a blog post <laughs> on the best defense. Mm-hmm. You know, as a ninja, you have to defend yourself and, you know, to wash your hands yeah. with soap, yeah. hot water. Sing that happy birthday. We're teaching my daughter who, when everyone's birthday is coming up, because we sing happy birthday to them when we wash our hands. So you must be looking on Facebook. Who has a birthday today? It's like, oh, we've run out of family members. There you go. You have to pick strangers. <laughs> happy birthday <laughs> to Elmo. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> the joys of a four-year-old. It's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's these silver linings in getting to know. But to that end... Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about, um, I feel like we're going to get away from this point of the restrictive breathing to go on to another important point. Mm-hmm. When we talk about the duty of the mask and the language that's being used around it. But that restricted breathing, Cheryl and I started talking about our concerns with this because 
as these masks are being mandated in areas of um, uh, in gyms in working out mm-hmm. um, in those power vinyasa classes right. I know so it's there are already areas where we are challenged to breathe and right. depending on our physiology you know this would include the asthmatic COPD outright it is it's hard enough to yeah. breathe with oxygen over your face um, but you know, a very large percentage of the population, and this is what I deal with in my office quite frequently, breathe with those accessory muscles mm-hmm. as their first line. Mm-hmm. So most of us, even before the whole pandemic, are walking around with restricted breathing and chronic headaches and other musculoskeletal issues that honestly come down to the fact that we're breathing with our upper chest and not our diaphragm, mm-hmm. not getting a full breath. So mm-hmm. we're already restricted breathing. Right, exactly. And we've adapted to that restricted breathing to whatever our threshold is. And some of those thresholds bring you into my office with a headache. And Mm -hmm. some of those thresholds, you're just a little tired. And who isn't? Mm -hmm. It's normal. (laughs) That's another podcast. So we have that restricted breathing. We put that restricted breathing Mm -hmm. mask on our face. We go on a rock wall. We go start lifting heavy. We go do our yoga class, our pole Mm -hmm. dancing class, ballet. Pick your sport. You're wearing your mask. Mm -hmm. What do we need to be aware of in ourselves to continue to exercise safely? I, you told me one of my favorite stories was your um, pole dancing teacher mm-hmm. that everyone was wearing a mask pole dancing, <laughs> and her comment was how out of shape everybody was. Right. This Can't, actually wasn't my teacher. A, a it was teacher. a friend of mm-hmm. hers mm-hmm. who also has a studio in her home, mm-hmm. and she just had all of her girls. You know, she reopened, mm-hmm. and she had all of the, the girls wearing masks, mm-hmm. and, and they did. And she says, I don't know what's wrong with everybody. They're so out of shape. And they were actually just like falling over and passing out. And (laughs) my teacher says, well, there's a reason for that. And Mm -hmm. so she had to explain it. And, you know, her friend who had the studio said, I never knew that or I never thought of that. And it kind of frightens me that people aren't aware, you know, themselves what to look for Mm -hmm. or people who are teaching a class aren't aware until somebody falls over, hits their head, passes out, or, mm-hmm. you know, and they're calling 911. <laughs> so it's just, I think people need to be aware of what could happen. If mm-hmm. they are exercising under those circumstances, you really have to restrict your activity. Yeah, and this might not be you personally because you have great lung control, no right. asthma, no anxiety, and your diaphragm is just like world champion. Mm-hmm. But for someone else in the class next to you or mm-hmm. the class that you are teaching, mm-hmm. you don't know their whole health history. And right. that goes into emotional and psychological because, of course, anxiety is about what has happened to us in the past and how we are managing it now. That all of these pieces, it's I really want um, the fitness professionals and, and our weekend warriors and, and all of our active people mm-hmm. to listen and sit in another chair. Mm-hmm to consider the physiology and change the story they're telling them about awareness. Yes, we all deconditioned if we didn't get to move for those last four months. We're not as strong as we were. And if you are working out with a mask, you have restricted breathing opportunities. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about push harder to get stronger again. Mm -hmm. It's about you need to adapt to your new oxygen intake. It's Mm -hmm. like you are now working out at at altitude. Mm -hmm. You're you're actually on a 12,000 foot peak. And you are now our visiting football team huffing oxygen Mm -hmm. on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. Let's let's shift the conversation to awareness. Mm 
So as Cheryl mentioned earlier, it's dizziness, mm -hmm. headaches, mm -hmm. um, the feeling of in inability to catch your breath, mm -hmm. clumsiness with your mm -hmm. limbs, um, which worries me for our rock climbers up that mm -hmm. high, and just not quite getting that hand where you want it to land, or missing the ball that's being thrown at you because head. that hand-eye coordination. Yeah, that's important. Um, and then decision-making skills, mm -hmm. which maybe we don't see that one so much in the workout scenario, but... The confusion is a part of it. I mean, and, even mild and, confusion or disorientation. And that lasts a little while longer. Yes. Yes. Um, I certainly had that as I was getting used to and adjusting. And I've been back in practice for two months now. Mm -hmm. And my first week wearing a mask, I would wear it for about 10 hours a day. Oh. And I would be exhausted. I'd go home and sleep. I'd have a headache the next day. And I'd be doing silly confusion things like putting my cat's cat food scoop in her water dish. Yeah. Just little errors of judgment. Mm -hmm. Now, two months in, I'm doing that a lot less. Mm -hmm. And I have adapted to a new level of, mm -hmm. you know, you know tolerance and force but initially mm -hmm. and if you're not wearing a mask for work all the time if you are in that position where you get to work from home right and you just put on the mask to go do your workout then you're not going to be adapting your body hasn't learned and you need to be more careful right right because mm -hmm. you could get into some pretty serious trouble mm -hmm. you could really hurt yourself or if you're the teacher responsible for that class you could really hurt other people yeah exactly mm -hmm. yeah. exactly so crazy yeah. times that we live in. Yeah. And, and so when we talk about, um, we, we were going to go on this idea of, of how we're wearing the mask and how we're being told to wear the mask mm -hmm. and other people that, um, you know, you might not know looking at them, but it can create uh, a bit of a trigger. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Emotional, psychological, mm -hmm. and, you know, I think I told you the story earlier about mm -hmm. the little girl when I was a respiratory therapist. Mm -hmm. um, I was working at a children's hospital, and I went in to give a little girl her breathing treatment, mm -hmm. and as soon as she saw me and she saw the little mask and the nebulizer that I was putting together, she just went nuts. She started screaming and crying, and she was being treated for upper airway you know, problems, strider, mm -hmm. right. So now she's crying and screaming, so her strider is getting louder and louder, and so her throat is closing off more and more, and it was like, whoa, I don't have to do this. You know, mm -hmm. I can just leave the room. And her dad was there and said, well, you know, she's just so upset. Anytime she sees a mask, she's had so many surgeries, anytime she sees a mask, she equates that with putting a mask over her face, she's going to fall asleep, she's going to wake up sick and with a horrible sore throat because she's had surgery. And it's like, well, thank you for telling me that mm -hmm. because now you've given me options. I'm sitting in another chair across the room. Yeah, I can adapt to this. So I took the mask off, tossed it away, and I got a little six-inch piece of, of tubing mm -hmm. and put it on the end of it. And I even said, you know, Dad, you can hold it. I don't even have to hold the nebulizer. I can go outside. Mm -hmm. And we just held it in her face. So it was blowing in the direction of her face. Before I knew it, I was sitting in the rocking chair and she was asleep in my arms. It was so sweet. And I was just, you know, blowing the nebulizer, the aerosol mm -hmm. into her face and she was fine. So, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't have to sit on her. <laughs> you know, and she's a four-year-old. Well, what are you going to do when you're a child? Yeah. And force her to, to, to do that because it would be so traumatizing. She was already horribly traumatized. And of course, the dad's looking at me like I'm a you know, Wonder Woman. It's like, <laughs> oh, how many children of your own do you have? And I'm going, none. <laughs> and he says, well, how did you know what to do? And I says, well, I was a child and I'm a smart person. I'm compassionate and I can problem solve. Mm -hmm. Again, it's the critical thinking that you brought up at the very beginning of the show. It's there are always options and ways to 
adapt but I think of that little girl because it was just a sweet moment for me in my career but that little girl is now 34 Mm -hmm. and if she has to put a mask on anytime that she leaves her house how does that impact her how Mm -hmm. does that trigger her yeah or what about somebody who god forbid was assaulted you know with a hand over her mouth that she couldn't speak Mm -hmm. they had taken away her voice Mm -hmm. and now she's going out in public with a mask over her face, how does she feel about that? Or him, either. Men get assaulted, too. Mm-hmm. So. so the point here is to say that we don't know the history of an individual. And when it comes to something that we could casually call invisible disabilities, like asthma and COPD and anxiety and PTSD mm-hmm. and triggers, you wouldn't know to look at someone. Right. Very well, this 34-year-old girl could look exactly like me. I am a 34-year-old girl with an extensive, <laughs> for another month, uh, with an extensive <laughs> medical history. Now, right. it turns out my trigger has more to do with getting my blood taken, but that you could look just like me. And if I right. go out in the world, I am a visibly healthy individual. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know my whole complicated health history. Mm-hmm. And the language being used for wearing the mask Mm-hmm. is if you don't wear one, you're a bad person. Mm-hmm. You know, take care of others. Mm-hmm. And I have read several articles on on the subject of, of trying to create this community responsibility because, mm-hmm. of course, there is an element of community responsibility right. with it. Um, for the degree to which it works, it is, devel- it is dependent upon the community's buy-in. Mm-hmm. But the language through a lot of these articles I have read is there are two types of people who don't wear a mask. Narcissists and, you know, people who don't think this thing exists at all. Mm-hmm. And at the bottom, there's sometimes this edited to add, I didn't mean you who have uh, comorbidities and shouldn't wear them at all. But the whole language of the article right. is about the, the, the narcissistic need to not, to not protect your community. Right. And when you're already dealing with the shame, and this I can speak to at, you know, at a great level, when you're already dealing with the struggle and shame of having invisible disabilities, right. of people assuming that you um, are able to go about the world like everybody else, mm-hmm. and having to admit out loud uh, I'm not who you think I am. Yeah. I'm injured. I need help. No, seriously, I need you to stop listening to my story and help me right now. Right. And that convincing. I've done that with my brain injury. I've done that with my hearing impairment. Right. I've done that with my anxiety. I've done that with my asthma. I am otherwise in a healthy appearing person with all four of these disabilities. Right. So to this woman or this man or this individual who has a reason that you can't see right. for not wearing a mask and they have to now defend, but I have a health history you don't know about. I mm-hmm. promise I'm not a narcissist. Mm-hmm. I promise I'm doing the best I can. I promise that I'm staying away. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't put them in a very fair situation. We have certainly right. not taken the opportunity, I feel, as a community to go sit in their chair. Right. Right. I remember the first time, mm-hmm. or I think it was the, yeah, the first time we were going to the grocery store together, my husband mm-hmm. and I, and I'm like, you know, I have to wear a mask. It was the first time I was ordered mm-hmm. to wear a mask. And I'm like, okay, I have allergies, mm-hmm. asthma, anxiety, you know, PTSD that I think I have kind of healed from completely. I said, I don't feel real good about this. Mm-hmm. And I says, I, I might just sit in the car. 
Mm-hmm. And I did. And so for the first probably, oh my goodness, two or three months <laughs> of the pandemic, um, he would go out by himself. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, he's like, okay, I'll do it. And a lot of times I said, we were, we were in the stone age. We were living mm-hmm. like Fred and Wilma Flintstone because he would go out and hunt <laughs> every couple of mornings and whatever he came home with that mm-hmm. he could find and, you know, his, his score, I would go through the groceries and figure out what I was going to make out of him mm-hmm. and what I was going to cook. So we did that for three months. And mm-hmm. then I finally started going back to the grocery store about a, about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And I go by myself like a big girl. <laughs> ah. I take that ninja energy and it's like, yes. But it is that adaptability and you have to sit with where you are and what kind of space right. you have. Right. And again, looking at the different chairs, looking at that we're all in this differently. Mm-hmm. You have a husband who is healthy enough to be able to go in and do the right. shopping. And in my family, um, we started using Instacart. So we live in an area where we can use Instacart, where we can get to the delivery and afford to use it. Right. Um, because again, you know, having a small child and having all of the things that I just listed for me, um, there's an added layer of not being able to hear her because I read lips. Right. And if her fat mouth is covered, now I don't feel like I can parent safely. Right. So that's a whole nother avenue we don't need to go down. But we both had other things that we could rely on to obtain food for ourselves. Now, what about a single parent? Right. Who has any of number of things that both of us talked about and still needs to get food, but doesn't have a partner and can't afford Instacart or doesn't live in an area where Instacart is available. Right. Or needs to deal with food stamps and alternate ways of paying for food. Mm-hmm. Now there is this choice between public shaming, personal safety, and a need to find sustenance. Not an easy question, not an easy problem to solve. Right. But we're here to argue the language of mandate right. makes it even harder. Right. And can we come from a place of empathy right. rather than everybody is a jerk except for you, I didn't mean you? Yeah. Yeah. How can we change our language? And it's the shaming, mm-hmm. I think, more than anything that just, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of like prickles me when I see that. It's, it's and, you know, I, I don't even look on Facebook anymore mm-hmm. or, you know, oh, my gosh, next door, that app. Oh, yeah. I, I can't believe people, people, we know who you are. <laughs> don't, don't do this. Actually, one of uh, my neighbors or in mm-hmm. the hood actually put a neighbor's home address this person, blah, blah, at this address is mm-hmm. doing, and I, I was just horrified. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're not completely anonymous, but that kind of shaming and mm-hmm. then some of the responses that came back, it just kept escalating and escalating mm-hmm. until it's like, okay, I'm done. I'm not going on this app anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sorry if your dog is lost. I'm not going to know to look for it, but it's just horrible. So I think that we have to realize, and this goes back to the mm-hmm. awareness, is sit in that chair and hear what that person is hearing you say. Mm-hmm. Not think about what you're saying. Think about how it sounds to that person. That person who is struggling with some of those disabilities um, or in an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. who's just trying to live through another day and get you know some peanut butter, Mm-hmm. You know, and they get chased out of the store because they're not wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's there's got to be a way where we can sit down and everybody play musical chairs. 
I love this. I know. I think we'll disinfect each chair. Yes. You know, as we change. But the music starts. We all go around and we sit in a different chair mm-hmm. and see what that room looks like from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And then just continue to do that. Yeah. And, and if what we're saying is helping or hurting. Right. Helping or hurting. And so that we know that this is a very, very contagious virus mm-hmm. and that the, it's definitely not one that anybody wants to suffer through. Mm-hmm. And so if we can give space, literal space, to someone who is not wearing a mask mm-hmm. and perhaps give that benefit of a doubt, that mm-hmm. presumption that everyone is coming at this with the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a piece that has gone missing as we retreat from that frontal lobe of critical mm-hmm. thinking to that emotional lobe mm-hmm. of a heightened awareness mm-hmm. to that re- reptilian fight or flight survival. It becomes the conversation of you are now against my survival. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you're not doing the thing that I am doing for my survival. You must be against Mm -hmm. me. Can we take a step? Mm -hmm. Can we take a deep breath? Mm -hmm. Play musical chairs for a Mm -hmm. moment and give some benefit of a doubt Mm -hmm. that we are all in this Mm -hmm. trying to survive together. And can we have Mm -hmm. dialogue instead Mm -hmm. of lecture? Mm -hmm. I don't like people lecturing you know, whether they're lecturing to me when they're on the, the TV set, mm-hmm. you know, making their, you know, fine income mm-hmm. and they're yelling and, you know, you need to wear a mask, you need to do this. And they're standing, you know, not mm-hmm. wearing a mask, touching their face and everything. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, but let's don't lecture. Mm-hmm. Just let's talk about it. Let's have these conversations mm-hmm. because that's what I love about the podcast. You know, your podcast, my podcast, we get to hear people's stories. Mm-hmm. And the more we share our experiences, our, our ideas, our fears, mm-hmm. our thoughts, the more we learn from each other and the better we'll have a community rather than I will lecture you, and mm-hmm. I will tell you what to do. Well, no, you really can't tell me what to do. When I'm an adult, <laughs> you know, and I have the best intentions, I like to think. You mm-hmm. know, I've spent 40 years taking care of people. Um, I want everybody to be healthy and happy. Mm-hmm. And I see some people walking around with these masks and outside, mm-hmm. you know, sunglasses, hats, and, and just... And, and earbuds, and I'm thinking, okay, now I'm really concerned about your safety. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid you can't see somebody coming up behind you. I'm afraid you can't see that car coming around the corner or even the bicycle for a pedestrian to step in front of it. Mm-hmm. That could really be devastating. Yeah, and when we're talking about, again, <clears throat> this is getting to just the physiology of having a buildup of O2, or CO2 in your system, yep. and that confusion, that muddledness, and my story of scooping cat food into a water dish, not a big deal, kind of funny. My husband had a nice field day with that one. At least it wasn't the litter. It wasn't the litter, litter and it wasn't our food. There you go. But if it is the half step too soon, not soon enough to get out of the way of an oncoming bicyclist or car, now that silly, simple mistake is really dangerous. Exactly. And so what I hope everyone is hearing as they listen to this, if you've continued to listen to this, <laughs> is Cheryl and I have not told anybody what to do. We have not said this is a good thing, this is a bad thing, the executive orders are correct, they are wrong. There has been no judgment, judgment being placed on the use. 
there has been education about proper use, mm -hmm. about hygiene, about the physiology of O2 and CO2 within our bodies and how it affects us when working out or walking across a hot parking lot. We have acknowledged that there are different parts of the country with different population densities, mm -hmm. different altitudes. All right, we've been judgy about the altitude. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're a little kind of, yeah. yeah we're we're, we're snarky about that. I'll take that one. A different altitudes. Take it for the team. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. I love <laughs> it. Thanks. Um, Ninja trick. <laughs> so we have all of these pieces, and we want to cultivate an awareness and a dialogue. Mm -hmm. So that this opposing yelling of, I just want to be heard, mm -hmm. can find a common ground. Mm -hmm. So that the opinion of masks must be used at all times can be seen in the situation where that is appropriate mm -hmm. and can be adapted in situations where it becomes dangerous, like working out and maybe we don't push ourselves as hard. And there are many different ways to solve mm -hmm. this Rubik's Cube. Mm -hmm. It's the conversation that we're hoping it to have. It is the conversation. Mm -hmm. And being open-minded and being willing to sit in that chair. Mm -hmm. And some of these chairs are really uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. And the goal for me, the goal for me as a doctor, as a human on my own health journey, and here as a host for this podcast, is to ask all of us to ask enough questions mm -hmm. so that we can start to be uncomfortable knowing what we don't know and stop yelling mm -hmm. because when people start yelling your brain goes back into that flight or fight mm -hmm. and there's nothing productive ever comes from that yeah. so so the idea is be polite be polite and get comfortable learning and learning and so that even your most hard fast opinions have holes because mm -hmm. you've realized there's more for you to learn. Mm -hmm. And if you see something that mm -hmm. really is jarring on Facebook or next door, yeah. just keep scrolling. Just smile, give the person <laughs> some love, take a few deep breaths and mm -hmm. just delete and walk away. Mm -hmm. It's just not worth it. Yeah, we don't have to pick every fight. No. Lessons from a ninja. <laughs> Choose your battles. Right. So as Cheryl mentioned, and I neglected to mention at the top of the podcast, she does have her own fabulous podcast, The Femininja Project. Oh, thank you. Where you can find inspiring and incredible stories. Especially Dr. Carly's. <laughs> She's been on twice. There we might to get be, you back again. There yeah. might be a story about a young girl overcoming health issues. As, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, just an incredible host of guests Thank and always you. with critical thinking and the opportunity to learn and gain empathy. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend. Thank you. Um, where, is it on all 